welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Well, good morning, everyone. All right, so let's go ahead and let's pray one more time as we open God's Word. Lord God, thank you so much again for gathering us together and giving us this opportunity to look into your Holy Word. And as your Word is proclaimed, Father, we pray that you are glorified and magnified in it and honored. And that us as a church, Lord, that we would be edified by it. And so we pray that simple prayer this morning. And it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, verses 24 through 37. So go ahead and open up your Bibles. The title of this morning's message is Going to the Well. Not wall, well, it should be well. Going to the well. Don't mean to call anybody out. It's correct on my page. <laughs> Just kidding. Usually it is my fault. I'm looking at my title. I'm like, no, I put well. Okay. Oh, it does say well. What was I thinking? Um, I don't know if you heard this title before. Have you heard of this uh, idiom or phrase? Like they're going to the well one too many times. It's usually said in this with in the sporting context, right? I think of like a, a relief pitcher. You know, somebody that's coming in to save the day uh, for the baseball team. And the phrase is used, hey, they're going to the well once more. And usually it's a, a negative thing saying that they're going to the same thing over and over again in hopes that it would bail them out. You know, that this person is going to provide for them or support for them in the exact same way that they always do. And eventually it's going to run out like in a well, a water, a water well, right? The water eventually will run out. But does that hold true for the Christian life? Think of this. Who is our support and provider in the Christian, in our life as Christians? Obviously, we're talking about God. God is our well. And the question would be, does the well of God's support or his mercy or provision ever run out? Can we go to the well one too many times? Right? Maybe you live that way sometimes, like, oh, I've already gone to the Lord with this issue of mine that I keep going to him and, and maybe he won't forgive me anymore. Maybe I've gone to the well one too many times. Right? Maybe you don't actually think that, but you live that way in some sense. Right? You, you don't go to the Lord at all for whatever reason. Well, Mark shares with us this morning two episodes in the gospel that show us that those involved in this, these stories did not feel that way. They did not feel the well of God's mercy would run out. In fact, it was the only well worth going to for them. So let's look at their stories this morning. And then at the end, we'll make application for our own lives. So the first, the first story narrated to us is in verses 24 through 30, and we'll read that, 
And this is Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. The, let's see, Mark writes, starting in verse 24, he says this. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. So Jesus is leaving the previous area he was at, and he's going somewhere else. And so that's where Mark picks up the story. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon had departed. So what's going on here? As I had mentioned, Jesus is going to a different region as was his habit of going around and sharing the gospel. And Mark tells us that Jesus was going to this area to hopefully go unnoticed. Right? He was probably going for some rest. Right? After being with crowds and throngs of people, he needed rest for himself and for his disciples. And so Mark tells us he was hoping to be unnoticed, or that he went in hopes to be unnoticed. Yet, it says in verse 24, he could not escape notice. You know, in Jesus going for rest, it, Mark does express to us Jesus's humanity. Even though he is God, he is also 100% human, and even Jesus needed some rest. But if you're somebody of Jesus's uh, popularity, you're not going to go unnoticed. People are going to know where you are. You know, I recently started watching um, The Last Dance. It's a documentary about Michael Jordan. And, and this reminded me of, of that is where Jordan, Michael Jordan, if you don't know him, he was a famous baseball, or baseball. <laughs> he was a baseball player too. He was a famous basketball player. And uh, he was sitting in his, in his room I think it was after a game or something. He's like, no, this is besides a cameraman. He's like, this is where I need to be. Just, I'm like, he's hiding out. Because the minute he goes outside, he doesn't go unnoticed. And he just wants some peace and quiet and some rest. And how much more so for Jesus, who had been expending himself over and over again, just wants some rest. Again, showing us his humanity. But as it says, he doesn't go unnoticed, right? A woman in verse 25 hears that Jesus is in town. And hearing this, she seeks him out on behalf of her demon-possessed daughter. We're told in verse 25, right? Who wouldn't, on behalf of their child being demon-possessed, try to find a cure for their child? And, and we're told that this woman immediately seeks him out because she believes 
apparently, that Jesus has the ability and the power to heal her daughter. Because if he didn't, she wouldn't have gone there. Right? If she would have thought, hey, he can't do that, then she would have sought other help. And maybe she has. And again, maybe he's her last hope. We, we are not told, but we are told that she seeks him out and she does it immediately. There's this sense of urgency. Again, if your child was in danger, what parent would not, in an urgent matter, do all that they could to try to save them? And so this is what we're told this woman is doing. And she falls at his feet, begging him, imploring him. It could be in reverence, recognizing who he is. It could be in all humility, right? Recognizing that she is just a lowly Gentile, which we'll talk about in a moment. And here is the uh, king of the Jews. How would he even speak to her? So she falls out and des- falls down in desperation and even submission, asking him to heal her daughter. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that she was crying out and she cried out this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So she's heaping titles of praise upon him. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So she's seeking for help for her daughter. And she, it says in, in here that she kept doing it, right? Verse 26 says, And she kept asking him to cast out the demon of her daughter. There's a sense of repetitiveness, right? She's continually asking him, right? Again, how many of us don't continually plead for our children's salvation and safety or whatever it may be in your life? When you're interceding, not even for your children, just for somebody in general, that you intercede for them and repeatedly ask over and over again from the Lord to do something. That's what we see her doing. But not only that, we see Jesus' response, which at first may seem kind of harsh. And hopefully I can uh, do the uh, interpretation of it justice. But we see her here contending with the Lord. She doesn't give up, right? She keeps asking. And even when she asks Jesus something, and it looks like Jesus rebukes her, she battles. She presses in. She wrestles with the Lord and continually asks him to heal her. So look at verse 27. There's no doubt, like most of us, the first time that we read this, we think it may be a little harsh coming from Jesus, right? So here's a woman on the ground before Jesus pleading for her daughter to be released of this demon. And look at what Jesus says. He says, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, first reading and understanding of this, you may be, is Jesus calling her or her child a dog or comparing them them to dogs? It seems like it. But a better interpretation of understanding of this is Jesus is just using this as an analogy. It's, It's this really Jesus is saying that his ministry has first come to the Jewish nation. Remember, it says, and Mark makes a point of pointing this out in the previous verse, that she's a Gentile. And we're told in the Gospels that Jesus first came to speak to the Jewish nation. And then from there, he will speak to the Gentiles. And in a really harsh analogy, which we might think it is, that's what he is saying. 
But basically it's like this. He's just using it in everyday uh, common near a picture that everybody would understand and maybe we can too is if you are cooking dinner for your family you are not at the same time cooking dinner for your household dog maybe some of you are like well i do i don't <laughs> our dog is no doubt standing right there looking up like hoping you are doing that right in anticipation that hey i'm going to get some of that but Jesus, he's saying, look, we make the food for the family and then later we'll give some to the dogs. That's what he's saying. The family dog. Right? And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. What she is saying, says, yes, that is true, but... When the family sits down to eat, sits down to eat, and for those of you that have young children, you know all their food doesn't stay right on the plate, right? Maybe even some of us adults, that she's saying some of that first food that was made for the family is going to fall to the ground and the dogs get to eat that. So in actuality, they actually do get part of that first meal. This is the argument. She didn't take it as an offense. She understood what he was saying in, in some sense. It's, yes, but... The dog gets some of that too, actually. Right? There's not a separate meal made later for the dog. He actually does get some of that first meal. And Jesus doesn't say uh, that he doesn't feed the dog at all. He says, go look back at verse 27. He says, first. It's not like, hey, we don't feed the dogs. No, first we feed the children, the household family, and then the dogs. And this is similar to saying that the gospel first goes out to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And she's saying, yeah, I understand that. But you know what? We are reciprocants sometimes of that first presentation over and over again in the Old Testament, even in the gospels before the foundation of the church. Gentiles are being blessed by God. Gentiles are being saved by God. It's not the sole rule that it only goes to the Jews. There are exceptions where the Gentiles are recipients of that blessing. And that's what she's saying. Well, let us be the recipient of that blessing of just even just the scraps of your blessing is what she's saying. And Jesus commends her for it, for what she says. Look at verse 29 when he, after she says this, he says to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. He rewards her for her contention, for her wrestling with God, <clears throat> for her answer. And the, the woman's daughter is healed. Jesus rewards those who seek him, we are told. In the Gospel of Matthew, you could turn there with me if you like. Look at verse, uh, go to chapter 7, and let's just look at verses 7 through 11. That this rewarding of those who seek after Jesus is taught by him himself. And here we see it implemented in him rewarding the prayer of this woman or the request of this woman. So in, in Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 7 through 11. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching his followers and all the people around, teaching them about prayer. Look at what he says. He says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. 
knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be open. So he's saying, you know what? You're persistent. If you really contend for prayer, you're really showing that you really want something. Right? It shows your heart. You don't just pray at one time and say, well, we hope the Lord heard us and we hope he answers us, right? When you really want something from the Lord, how many of you are contending for it? Even quoting scripture to the Lord, your word says, Lord, like we're, we're wrestling with the Lord in one sense. This is a picture he's giving. Look at verse nine in the same chapter of Matthew chapter seven. He says, what man is there among you when him, when his son, excuse me, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone. Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will give him a snake. Will he? He's saying, which of you, right? When you ask your father, so to speak, for something, hey, dad, I want a loaf of bread. He gives you a stone. Or if you ask him for a fish, he gives you a snake. He says if, in verse 11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask? He's saying God is going to give us what you asked for. There's obviously, we could all say, well, yeah, but I've asked for this and that, and it hasn't happened yet. And there's some things that need to be said about that, but not today, unfortunately, in this message. We could address that at another time. But it's, a, but it's a general rule. Like If you're wanting something, ask the Lord for it. Seek out for it and knock. And if it is according to God's will and God's plan, he's going to give it to you. And so apparently in this, in this instance, it was God's will for this woman's daughter to be healed. And she contended for it. And so here we have the first episode in this gospel of a woman going to the Lord, going to the well, so to speak. The only well that she knew could, could give her what she needed to support her. Let's look at the next section of scripture in Mark's gospel, verses 31 through 37. Mark again presents another episode of somebody in desperate need and people interceding for them, coming to the Lord. Let's read verses 31 through 37. It says, Again, he went out from the region of Tyre, and he came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they entreated him to lay hands on him. And when he had took him aside, the multitude... And when he took him aside from the multitude by himself, he put his finger in his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said, Ephphatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, and the impediment on his, of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. So again, Mark is presenting to us 
an episode of people who are interceding for somebody else and going to the well, the only well that they can think of that is going to help them. If you, there's, a, there's a lot of similarities in this story versus the previous one that we just read. Again, there's intercession, somebody coming on behalf of somebody else. Look at verse 32, it says, And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. So you see this group of people bringing a deaf person and somebody who has a speech impediment of some sort, and they bring him to the Lord, just like the Syrophoenician woman, in essence, brought her concern to the Lord about her daughter. Because this group, like her, believed that the power of Christ could heal him. Right? They didn't just go, well, there's nothing we could do for this guy. They may have said, just like this woman, I know that Jesus is in the area. And if we can just get to Jesus, then he has the power to heal this person. They truly believe that, just like the woman did. And they entreated Jesus, we're told, to lay hands on him. Again, they're interceding. They're like, just lay hands on him, please. Just touch him. You have the power to do something to make his life better. And so Jesus, interestingly enough, he takes this person aside. So Jesus does something a little different here. Right? He could have easily just said it. And this person could have been healed. This person could have been speaking and hearing. But no, we see that Jesus in this instance has a, you know, cares for this person so much. It seems that he has to have a personal touch with this person. Look at verse uh, 33. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, took him aside from the multitude by himself. So the picture is that Jesus gets this man and takes him off to the side, away from the crowds away from everybody else. Right? Many commentators believe that, hey, maybe this guy would have been embarrassed of, you know, because he can't hear and he can't speak and people would have been staring at him. And maybe Jesus, knowing this, took him to the side and said, you know, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I'm going to, you know, transform you. Who knows? We're not told that. But we are told that Jesus took him aside, you know, that personal touch, that one-on-one. Jesus understanding what he needed, puts his fingers in his ear, maybe signifying to this uh, deaf person, because he couldn't say, I'm going to heal you of your hearing. No, he, he, does, he gives him like hands-on illustration. He puts his fingers in his ears and maybe pulls it out a little bit. To show him, I'm going to open your ears up, right? Now. I'm going to allow you to hear once again or for the first time. And so Jesus puts his fingers in this man's ears, and not only that, he touches this man's tongue. We're told that he spits on his hands and touches a man's tongue. At first we might go, oh, that's kind of gross, right? Another something like, you know, there could be germs in there, something like that. But there is an ancient belief at this time and recorded by the ancient historian Tacitus that saliva was believed to have some mystical powers, now, Jesus didn't need the saliva to do that, but maybe he was signifying to this man that, hey, I'm going to heal you of your speech impediment as well. Again, making a vivid illustration to him since he could not hear. So he touches his tongue, and that's not what heals him. Again, it's not the saliva that has this mystical powers. It's what Jesus says. 
Jesus' words in verse 34, when he looks, looks up to heaven again, signifying to this man, maybe I'm going to be praying for you, and has a deep sigh showing his, his, you know, just his concern, right? How many of you before a prayer, you're just like, like just showing like, you know, your emotion, Lord, you take a deep sigh before you pray. Jesus does that and just says, be open. And it says immediately in verse 35, his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. Jesus heals him. Obviously to the astonishment of everybody, they didn't think he could do it. And he told everyone after this was done, like he's done over and over again in Mark, as we've seen Jesus perform miracles and then tell people, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. And obviously by Jesus' fame, nobody ever listens to Jesus when he tells them that. And we've said this once before. Why would Jesus not pe want people to know about what he's doing? And there could be a number of reasons. As we've stated in previous messages, just quickly, just to reiterate, Jesus doesn't want his fame and the crowd's hype to, pre to prevent him from doing what he's called to do. Jesus has a plan. It's not yet time to reveal himself fully, and he's been doing it slowly but surely, and it is in his timing. And so if there's big crowds, as we've seen in previous messages, where they're wanting to make him king, and they're surrounding him and making a big hoopla in the town, it's like Jesus says, it's not time right now. God has a plan, and we, he doesn't want people messing it up, even there. It's like, it's not time to present why I'm fully here to everybody. You guys are going to misconstrue the message by going out and telling everyone. And then finally in verse 37, as I said, they're, they're amazed. It says, they're utterly astonished, and they say, he does all things well. He has done all things well. That word well could mean beautifully, finally, excellent. And all those things are true when God's plan works. God works all things well. God works all things beautifully or finally, again, in the way that they look, or excellently. All those things could be true, and they're recognizing this. And why do they say this? Because it's, they say he makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And for those of us, like myself, who are not like, you know, totally fluent in Old Testament prophecy, this is an actual illusion that Mark is presenting to us, telling us that not only does he do all things well, that this is actually the one that is prophesied to come to us. It's God incarnate. In your bulletin, there's a quote that I put in there from this prophecy that talks about this. And that's from Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Look at what the prophecy says. He says, say to those with anxious heart, and this is speaking of the coming Messiah, which now Mark is presenting to us. He says, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And so Mark adds this as an allusion to people again, hey, 
Get ready for it when I fully divulge Jesus' ministry in the gospel. This is the one that was prophesied to us long time ago. This is God incarnate. That's why he can do all things well. And so as we look at this story, what are some lessons that we can learn and take for application for ourselves? There's one lesson or one topic I want to cover as far as the application for us this morning that I see in these two uh, stories before us. And that is, there's some things that we can learn about prayer. And so let's look at the, these things that we can highlight from this story with some lessons in prayer. The first one is this, as we see both of these groups, number one, pray with confidence in the Lord. Pray with confidence in the Lord. These two people, or this group of people and the woman, came to the Lord with confidence, knowing that God could heal. They believed that God could heal or answer their prayer. At least he had the power to do it, and they were bold enough to go and ask him to do it. Hebrews eleven six says this about our confidence in the Lord. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. A few things about this verse in Hebrews 11. Again, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Speaking of God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. This shows us that if you come to the Lord, you must come to the Lord believing that he is the Lord, first of all. Again, these two people came, this group of people and this woman came to the Lord believing that he was God, believing that he had the power to do it. It's not just saying that, yeah, I believe that there is a God. No, it's saying, I believe that he is the God who's prophesied. He is the God he says he is. That's what the book of Hebrews is telling, the author of Hebrews is writing, that we need to have faith in God for our salvation, not just for his existence. Like you have faith that God exists. Well, that's fine. We're told in James that even the demons believe that. No, What he's talking about here is that you must have faith in God for your own personal salvation and believe he is who he says he is. That's confidence. Because if you don't believe that God is who he says he is and you come to him in prayer, you're like, well, maybe you can do this, God, or maybe you have the power. I've heard that you've had the power to do this. I've heard pastors say that you had the power to do this, but I don't really believe it. We need to have faith in God for our salvation and again, have faith that the Lord can answer your prayer and that he has the ability to do it. Again, both of these narratives show us that he does. Jesus, again, in Matthew 21, verses 21 through 22, in speaking on coming to him in prayer, said this, Truly I say to you, if you have faith to do and do not doubt, you will not only do what, you, what has been done to this fig tree. Remember, he told a fig tree, you know, basically he withered the fig tree or cursed it. I'm sorry. He said, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Lord saying, if you believe who I am, and obviously this has to be according to God's will, 
You're not just saying, well, I believe that God is who he is now. Give me this. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. We have to remember the context of all these things. But the point is, is that you have to have faith when you come. To, don't doubt that the Lord can even answer your prayer. If you're coming with a doubt, then you probably have already lost. So the first lesson that we have from this morning's, from Mark, is to pray with confidence in the Lord. Pray believing that God can really do what you're asking him to do. Number two, pray to the Lord early. Now, this doesn't mean you have to get up early in the morning. That's not what I'm saying. Although the super spiritual people, they get up. They get up like at four. It's in the Bible. Jesus woke up early all the time. I'm joking. What do I mean by early? I mean immediately. These people went to the Lord immediately as they heard the Lord was in town, they went to him. And I say that for us is that when we have a prayer request, we should immediately take it to the Lord. Why would we wait? Why would we go to the Lord at the end of, well, I've tried everything else. I guess we should pray about it. No, take it to him right away. Right? Pray early. Pray right away. Immediately go to the Lord. Number three, pray to the Lord often. Pray to the Lord often. Remember the woman? She was battling the Lord because she wanted her child to be uh, cleansed of this demon possession. So when I say pray to the Lord often, as I, what I mean is don't give up. Don't be like one and done. I prayed it once. The Lord can do all things. If he wants to have it done, he's going to do it, right? Which is true, but... We're told to pray without ceasing, right? Always be in prayer. Don't give up. Don't think you're bothering the Lord. Again, don't think you've gone to the well one too many times. No, we're told to go to the well. Contend with the Lord in prayer. Again, I mean, tell the Lord why you are praying, what you're praying for. Be open and honest. If you read the Psalms, you, you hear the heart of the psalmist. I mean, sometimes he looks like he's shouting at the Lord. Lord, what's going on? Why do the heathen, you know, looks like they're winning? Why are they chasing me? Why this? You know, I'm frustrated. I'm mad. Tell the Lord what you are praying for. Fight for those you are interceding for as well. Think of that. Those people that you're interceding for, again, those of you that are parents and are interceding for your children from the time they're real little to even when they're out of the house, right? It never stops. Intercede for them. Don't give up. I'm reminded of uh, Jacob in Genesis, and you can turn there with me because I want to read this story. In Genesis chapter 32, this is that episode where he wrestles with God literally. That's what we need to do in prayer, wrestle with the Lord. So if you know the story in, in Genesis 32, Jacob is about to see his brother after so many years, after stealing his blessing. Remember, he stole his blessing from his brother by disguising himself. And then he took off and hid for years because he was afraid of him. He's finally going to meet his brother out in the desert, in the wilderness. And he's scared. He's already separated his group. This part of my family is going to go that way. This part of my family is going to go this way. And I'm going to present all these gifts to my brother. 
But before he does that, we're told that he, in verse 24, look at uh, Genesis 32, 24. It says, then Jacob was left alone. So he's alone the, probably the, the night before he meets his brother. And he's worried. He's scared. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And verse 25 says, and when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So this man touches the socket of Jacob's thigh. And so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, to, then he said let me go for the dawn is breaking. So the man said, let me go to Jacob. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Right? That's right. He's like, no, you're not going until you bless me. Somehow he knew this man was more than just a man. And he goes on, he says, so he said to this man, what is your name? And he said, uh, excuse me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. So the man asked Jacob who he is. He says, I'm Jacob. He says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. The point being there is that Jacob says, I'm, I'm not letting you go. Obviously, he knew he was God after the fact, until you bless me. And the point of that, again, to telling you that is that we need to wrestle with God sometimes until we get what we want or until God breaks your thigh. And then you can walk with a limp. Do you wrestle with God in prayer or are you pretty flippant in prayer, right? Sometimes we can be flippant, right? Let's admit it. Yeah, we know we're supposed to pray and, you know, let me just pray real quick. Pray for my meal, pray for my family, pray for this, pray for that, whatever it is. Sometimes we need to just sit there and just wrestle verbally with the Lord, emotionally. Sometimes that means weeping. Sometimes that means, you know, maybe even getting a little upset in prayer about some things. Jacob did that. This woman wrestled with the Lord. She says, no, Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs, right? So don't only pray with confidence, pray early, pray often, and pray desperately to the Lord. Again, be are you desperate sometimes in your prayer? Sometimes we need to be desperate. Again, that keeps us from being flippant as well. When somebody's sick, when, somebody, when you're going through a lot, you become desperate in your prayers. We should be desperate for everything, recognizing that God is the only well of mercy that we have. Again, we saw that woman bow down, fall down on her face, praying to the Lord, pleading with him for her child. But in doing these things and wrestling with the Lord and, and desperately crying out to God and even sometimes contending with the Lord, we need to be careful and remember to be humble before the Lord as well. 
Let me share with you the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verses 1 through 2 says this. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulse in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So in our boldness to come before the throne room of God and to contend with him, let us also remember that he is the God of the universe. And we are just human, created human beings. Don't think that you are bigger than God or that God is your co-pilot. He is not your co You're not the co-pilot. You're in the cheap seats in the back of the plane. God is the only pilot. It's when we try to think we're the co-pilot and move God over that the plane crashes. We need to remember that. That's why this, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, do not be hasty in word or impulse. Think about what you're going to say to the Lord before you just jump in and start rattling off your prayers. And again, we need to be humble before the Lord. And finally and lastly, we need to do what the entire group did after the Lord answered their prayer. We need to praise the Lord for doing all things well. We need to remember that whatever the answer is from the Lord, even if it's no, that he knows what's best and he's doing all things well, even when he says no for us. How many of you can be thankful right now that the Lord didn't answer the prayer that you had prayed a while back? You're like, whew, we avoided that one, right? I remember one time I was praying to move to Ventura because there was a, a, I think it was a youth pastor position open a long time ago. And we were close to moving. And I'm so thankful the Lord didn't answer that prayer. And I know my wife's family is helpful, uh, thankful to you that we didn't move away. <laughs> but things like that, right? You thought, this is the Lord's will, right? I want this job. There's a job open. They're calling me. They're interviewing me. And... It didn't happen, thankfully. Thankfully. We need to praise the Lord even for those prayers that aren't answered. And again, you see this group praising God for doing all things well. We need to remember that as well. When the Lord answers your prayer, don't forget to go back and praise God for those answered prayers. So again, I hope this morning as, as we look at these, these episodes in Scripture that we could learn from them about our prayer life. And be out there interceding for a people. Again, pray to the Lord with confidence. Pray to the Lord early. Pray to the Lord often. Pray desperately to the Lord. Pray humbly to the Lord. And praise the Lord for doing all things well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again for your word. May we never take it for granted. For it is in your word that you speak to us, that you reveal to us who you are, that you re reveal to us how we are to live and how we are to respond to you. And we're so thankful for that, Lord God. And this morning, as we just get a little glimpse into prayer and how we should approach you, Father God, may you help us to remember that throughout this week and even obviously for our entire lives. 
May we recognize that you are the living, you have living water in your well, Lord, that we can never exhaust it. As a matter of fact, we, like the woman at the well, could never thirst again in response to you when recognizing who you are. And I pray that we would do that this morning, Lord God, that we would come to you believing you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And if there's anyone in this room this morning, Lord God, who does not yet see you for who you are, I pray that this morning you would open their eyes, that you would open their ears, and you would remove the hardness away from their hearts so that they might bow down before you, fall before you in recognition of your lordship of their life. And for those of us who are your children already, Lord, thank you so much for opening our eyes, for opening our ears and softening our hearts. May we, Lord God, continue to have those opened eyes and open ears and soft hearts as we seek after you, as we live in this world that is totally against you. As we find ourselves all alone, just with a few people that love you, may we continually know that you are the, in heaven. You are the creator of this universe and you have a plan that is unfolding. And even when we don't see it, Lord God, may we cling to you and trust you through that process. And Lord, if there are people in our hearts right now, as we thought about, as we've gone through this message this morning that we need to intercede for, I pray for all of them right now, whoever is on the congregation's heart. Lord God, that you would heal them of whatever it is that they need, whether it is physical, emotional, even salvation. We come before you, Lord God, knowing that you can do all things. And we know that you do all things well. And so, Lord God, we put all those prayers before you and ask that your will would be done, for we know that you can do it. You created the heavens and the earth. You raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You give life to every being. Answering our prayers is nothing in comparison, for you are the all-powerful and mighty God. And we bow down before you in desperate need and humility, asking for your blessing upon our prayers and for your help in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.